Father, I don't think any of us realize just how far we've fallen from what you intended us to be when you created us. Father, how we've become servants to the creation instead of the creation serving us. How we've become servants to the sin and to sin and the devil instead of the devil serving us. Father, I just ask through this text today that you show us where we belong in your creation. And not only that, Lord, that you show us how your creation is going to be redeemed and what you've done for us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be restored to the place that uh, you gave us when you you created us and placed us in the garden. So, Lord, I just ask today, this, this is a really encouraging text, and Lord, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you do just that, that you encourage us with these great truths. Because, Lord, we look around in this world today, and, and it seems mighty dark, and it seems we certainly see the, the results of the curse. We see the results of sin. And so, Lord, just show us the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ as we go through this text today. And I just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, and we'll be picking up in verse number five. The book of Hebrews is almost to the, over to the book of Revelation, uh, and we'll be picking up in verse number five today. Back in the 80s, you probably remember the song uh, Willie Nelson uh, sang called Always On My Mind. Do you all remember that? Uh, let, me, let me read you some of the lyrics. He says, maybe I didn't love you quite as often as I should have. Maybe I didn't treat you quite as good as I should have. Little things I should have said and done, I just never took the time. But you were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. Now, I can't make excuses like that to my wife. He got away with it. He, he wrote this song probably because he was in trouble with his girlfriend or something. But, but it doesn't sound to me like this girl really was always on his mind. If she was always on, a, on, a, on his mind, then maybe he would have loved, uh, loved on her uh, more, more as often as he should have. Maybe he would have treated her uh, as good as he should have. Maybe he would have, the things he should have said and done, he would have said and done them. And so I don't really believe that uh, uh, he was, uh, she was on his mind. I believe he was on his mind. And, and so he either ne needed to change his ways or change the lyrics. But I say all of that because you want to hear something, some really encouraging news today. Some really encouraging news. I mean, does anybody need any encouraging news? Well, let me give it to you. You are always on the mind of God. You were always on his mind. You realize that when he created the angels, you were on his mind. When he created the worlds, you we're on his mind. When he emptied himself of his glory and became a little bitty babe in Bethlehem, do you realize that you were on his mind? And here's something that's just mind-boggling. When he was hanging there on that cross, you, specifically you, and you, and you, and me, we were on his mind 
as he was hanging there dying for our sins, he wasn't dying for the generic sins of the world. He was dying for the sins of George Llewellyn. And man, that's a bunch of them. And I'm sure you added a few up there too. You were always on his mind. You are always on his mind. Do you know why? Because as we're going to see today, he made you for glory and honor. He made you to be greater than the angels. He made you to be his sons and daughters, his brothers and sisters, his friends. That's who he made you to be. And that's what we're going to see as we look at this, this text today. But let's go back to a minute and where we left off last time. And we, we begin in chapter 2, in, and we had look at that, those first four verses there. And the author had given us one of five of some of one of five warnings, very stern warnings, that he's going to give us in the book of Hebrews. And in that warning, he told us to, play, to pay close heed to the revelation that he has given us about Jesus Christ and not take these things lightly because he's secured, procured for us a great salvation. And, and there's this danger that if we don't take these truths and grasp these truths, they'll slip away. And then we might fall back into the world and we might fall back into law and we'll miss the new birth that he has for us. Now, if you've been born again, you can't fall back. He's not going to let you fall back. But if you're here today and you're not born again and you, you, you're not sure you're born again, well, you better grasp a hold of these truths unless you fall into apostasy. And that's, and that's the warning that he gave. And so now that he's finished the warning, he's going to go back to his description of Jesus Christ as being greater than the angels, and he's going to talk about us a little bit in this description. And that's where we want to pick up as we come back to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look in verse number 5. And look what he says there right away. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Now, he's talking about how great the Lord is in comparison to angels. And then he says in verse 5, angels were never meant to rule the creation. He never put the creation in subjection to angels. He never did that. Now, there were many Jews, and there's many people today, who believe that maybe God did put the creation in subjection to angels, because angels are glorious beings. They're these shining, glorious beings. As I said a couple of weeks ago, if an angel were to appear in this room right now, I guarantee you most of it would fall down and worship that angel. That's how glorious they are. And, and the Jews thought that Michael and Gabriel were intermediaries between God and their nation, between God and the Jewish people. And so they held angels in high esteem. You know, Jesus Christ said something about Satan that just blows your mind. He said he is the prince of this world. He's the ruler of this world. And so angels are powerful beings. 
But angels were never intended to rule creation. They were never intended to rule the material world. What were the purposes of the, what was the purpose of the angels? Look back at chapter 1 and look down at verse number 14, and he asked this rhetorical question. He says, are they not all liturgical spirits, ministering spirits, worshiping spirits? That was their number one priority, to worship God. And if you were to see the throne of God right now, you would see the angels there crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And they cry that out 24-7. But they're also spirits sent forth to minister. That's the word diaconus. They're, they're deacons, they're ministers for us, for those who will inherit salvation. That's what they're meant to do. They're meant to worship God and serve those who are born again. That was their, what they were meant to do when God created them. Okay, but Adam and Eve blew it, didn't they? I mean, Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do? They, they, they listened to Satan, and they fell, and they rebelled against God, and things were reversed. And, and no longer did did uh, we have authority over the angels? The angels had authority over us. Now, I, I've always wondered, when I read the story of the fall in chapter 3 of Genesis, I wonder what was Satan doing in the Garden of Eden? I mean, what was he there for? I mean, how did he get there? I mean, we read about the creation, there's nothing in the creation about Satan being created, but somehow... When Adam and Eve are in the garden, Satan is there. Well, I've got a hunch. Y'all want to hear my hunch? Now, when I give a hunch, that does not mean I'm being dogmatic here. So don't come up after the service and tell me, that, oh, you're a heretic. I don't agree with what you said about angels. I, it, look, if you want to be wrong, you can be wrong. But let me tell you my hunch. <laughs> Here's my hunch. And we don't really know. You know, we're not told. We, we're told about Satan over and over. We're warned about Satan over and over in the Bible. But we're, we don't get much information about him. Why? Because the Bible's not about Satan. Who's the Bible about? It's about Jesus Christ. And so we're not, the, the Lord's not going to give Satan any glory, but there's this one passage where we get a little bit of insight uh, into Satan and his fall, and that's in Isaiah chapter uh, 14. So go with me back. Find Psalms, find the middle of your, your uh, Bible, and then head back towards Hebrews, a few books, and you'll find Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. It's a pretty easy book to find, a large book. Well, look in Isaiah, and look in chapter 14, and we get this really strange passage right here. I mean, here, here Isaiah is speaking of the king of Babylon by the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden he does this, he digresses into this, this statement about Lucifer, about Satan, and, and, uh, and, and we find that beginning in verse number 12 of Isaiah 14. Look at what it says there. It says, how you are fallen from heaven. Verse number 12, Isaiah 14. How you have, are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now that's talking about his ultimate fall. Now, but look at, look at how he got on the earth. He says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the shining ones of God. That's, it says stars there, but you can translate that shining ones. Above all the angels. I'm going to exalt myself above all the angels, and I'm not even going to be satisfied with that. Listen to what he says. He says, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, 
on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. And, and, but he's not going to stay like that. We know that you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now here's my hunch. Somewhere back, before the earth was created, God said, announced to the angels, I'm going to create the crown jewel of my creation. I'm going to create man and woman. And remember what he says in Genesis chapter 2? Uh, let us create them in our, own, in our own image. And so the mankind was intended to be the crown jewel of God's creation. That was his plan. But Satan didn't like that plan because he considered himself to be the crown jewel of God's creation. And so he rebelled, and he took a third of the angels, rebelled with him. And they came down to this earth. And they were here when Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. How long, how long the, all of this transpired, we're not given the exact time, but, but at some point they were here in the Garden of Eden. And Satan, he knew all about mankind. He knew about our destiny. But he also knew that man was going to be created with a choice. And he knew that if he was patient and persisted long enough, he could get them to make a bad choice and rebel against God. And isn't that exactly what happened? We listened to Satan, and we rebelled, and through Adam and Eve, we sold out to Satan, and instead of Satan and the angels serving us, we serve him. Now, you think about that logically, and you look at the history of the world, and what has happened throughout history to the Jews and to Christians? They have been persecuted by Satan. I mean, Satan's not so much concerned about the lost people of this world because they're not going to be the crown jewels of God's creation. They follow Satan, and guess where they're going to follow him? They're going to follow him all the way down into the pit, and they're going to serve Satan in hell for eternity. If you're here today and you're not serving the Lord, you're serving the devil, and I promise you this, one day you're going to go with him when he's thrown down into the pit of hell. Now that's not a hunch. That's going to happen if you don't know the Lord. You know, I see, you read about what the Nazis did to the Jews during the Holocaust, and boy, don't let anybody tell you there wasn't a Holocaust. That's the, the devil saying there wasn't a Holocaust. Like, like uh, Muslims saying that the Jews uh, bombed those towers, raided right those towers at 9-11. The devil's full of lies. And he muddles everything with lies. But when I hear, when I see the atrocities that they committed, only demonic, possessed beings could do what they did to those people. And, it, and it's easy to understand when you understand Satan's motive, and that is to destroy God's people. And now, you, you know, you see ISIS marching through the Middle East and beheading Christians, and, 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 and on their video they said, nation of the cross, we're coming for you. Why? Why do they hate us so much? They, it's the devil in them that hates us so much. 
and wants us destroyed. He knows he's going down. He knows they're going down. He knows the Lord's coming back. And he wants to destroy as many of us as he can before that happens because he hates God's people. Because we're the crown of God's creation. And, and that's why you have these severe warnings in this Bible. And, and especially here in the book of Hebrews. You do not want to find yourself in the end serving the devil. Because if you're serving the devil in the end, you're going to find yourself in hell in the end. Serving him for eternity. And, and I, you know, you can't think of anything worse than that. So back to Hebrews, verse 5. He says, For he has not put the world to come to which we speak in subjection to angels. You know, in the future, it's not going to be the way it is now. That's what, that's what the author's saying. Satan's not going to rule this world. Uh, guess who's going to rule this world? Watch what he says here. Look at verse number 6. But one testified in a certain place. Who's that one he's speaking of? He's speaking of David. Testified in, in a certain place. He's speaking of Psalm chapter 8. And, and this is the one area where this doesn't sound like Paul to me because Paul usually names the, the, the author and he usually names the text. So it does give you a little bit of, you know, bother you a little bit about this being the authorship of Paul because of the way he does this. But anyway, he says, But one testified, David testified in Psalm 8 saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or son of man that you take care of him? When he speaks of man there, he's speaking of us. He's speaking of Adam, the sons of Adam and the sons of Eve. He's, and, he speak, and when he speaks of the son of man, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. He's saying there, why are you so concerned with men? Why are you so concerned with Jesus Christ, the son of man? Why do you give so much attention, Lord, to these things? Now, you know, I can imagine David. David was a little shepherd boy, more than likely when he wrote this psalm. And I can imagine him out in the field with his, with his sheep and lying down at night far away from, from any city lights. And he's laying down, looking up in the heavens, laying there by his sheep, and, and he writes, the heavens declare your glory. And then he says, oh, man, I mean, what is man that you are mindful of? I mean, he looks up at all of those stars more than he can possibly count. He sees the moon. He, he knows about the sun. He sees all of this great creation. And, and he's just humbled by the fact that God is mindful of him. And he, he says, who am I, Lord? Who am I that you are so mindful of me? I mean, who are we that you take so much care for us? Who is the son of man that you take so much care for him? How mindful is God of you? How mindful is God of you? Let me, let me tell you from a few places how mindful he is of you. In Psalm 139, it says he sees our rising up and our sitting down. He sees us get up in the morning. He sees us go to bed at night. He knows our thoughts before we think our thoughts. Now, that's not such a good thing sometimes. But he knows our thoughts. He knows we're fallen. He has mercy on us. You have, you have a wicked, evil thought way beyond anything you can possibly imagine. That's probably, it's coming from your depravity or it's coming from Satan, but God knows that. He knows your thoughts before you think your thoughts. In Psalm 
90. It says our days are numbered. He numbered your days before the foundation of the world. Hey, you're not going to get out of here one day sooner than, you, than, than he's planned for you to get out of here. You're not going to leave here one day earlier. You don't test God on that, but, I mean, if you jump off this, the top of that building today just to prove the fact that, that uh, today's the day of your death, well, today was the day of your death. He knew it before the foundation of the world that you were going to do something stupid like that. He numbers our days. He knows our thoughts before we think them. In Psalm 56, you know what it says there? He puts our tears in a bottle. You realize that every time you've cried a tear, I mean, I don't think he literally, maybe he does. He can certainly grab them if he wants to, right out of the atmosphere. But every time you've cried a tear or shed a tear, that's been close to his heart. He's weep with you. He's been mindful of you. Jesus says, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. And really that word for numbered there, don't pick on Randy, Diane. Look at your own husband. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm losing mine pretty fast, too. You know, you know what the word there really means? It, it, or what it applies to? More than the numbers of your hair, the numbers in each hair strain. Do you realize that your hairs are numbered? The DNA on your hair tells you. I, I can, you, can, you can take a strand of your hair and you can, you can find out your descent. They can go back five generations or more than that and from a strand of your hair and tell you if you have Jewish blood in you or you have Indian blood in you. Your, your hair, not that motorcycle blood. We're not talking about that. The very hairs of your hair. He created you. He designed you. He numbered you. And he's mindful of you. You're always on his mind. Verse number seven. He says, you have made him a little, speaking of man now here, he's not talking about Jesus yet. He's going to talk about him in the next verse, or in the ninth verse, but not yet. You have made man a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over all the works of your hands. That's the future of mankind. But now if you look at that text, it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. That little there, if you, if you look in your margins, it's really better translation, a little while. It's, it's little in terms of time. You have made man for a little while lower than the angels. You weren't intended to be lower than the angels. But for a little while, you have been made lower than the angels. You have crowned him with honor, glory and honor. More glory and honor than all the angels. More glory and honor than Michael and, 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 and Gabriel. You have more glory and honor than they do. And he's speaking of that Shekinah glory. You know, if you could just see what you're going to look like in glory, if you could see what your glorified body's going to look like, man, where well, it's going to be an improvement for me. I don't know about you. But I, I, I've used this illustration on s several occasions, but like C.S. Lewis says, if you could see the person next to you in their glorified state, you would fall down and worship them. You're going to have more glory than the angels. 
and more honor and more righteousness. You're going to have the very righteousness of God. You realize that that's already been given to you? You already have been given the righteousness of God? We don't live that way, and we sin, but positionally, you have been perfected. We're going to see it right here in chapter 10 of this book. You have been perfected forever in Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in him. We have been made perfectly righteous in him. Now, if you're not born again, this doesn't apply to you. This isn't a worldwide thing. This is for only those who apply verse 9. We'll see here in a minute. But you've been crowned with glory and honor, and he set us over the works of your hands. He set us over all of creation. We're to be rulers of creation, not servants to creation. The only thing we're to serve, or the only person we're to serve is Jesus Christ. We're to be servants of God. Now, you know what? Jesus said this. He said, the greatest among you will be what? You will be servants. We will rule creation, but with a servant's heart. Just as Jesus has a servant's heart. Then look at verse number 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. He's speaking of us here. I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ here in a minute. But you have put all things under the subjection of men. That was what, that's the way things were intended to be. For in that he has put all, all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. I mean, we're to be rulers of creation, but now we do not yet see all things under him. Now, you can tell, and I, I really like the fact that the translators here got the caps right. You see how you got capital he, capital uh, he, and then you have him, and him is not in caps. So that's not referring to Jesus Christ. That's referring to us. All... We were created to be rulers of the creation, to have dominion over all things. That's what we were created for. But is that the way things are right, the way things are right now? No. We, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all to subjection under him, under man. He left nothing that, see, again, the, pronouns there are not in caps he put he he left nothing that is not under him but now we do not yet see all things under him you know again i picture david and this is this all of this is coming out of out of psalm 8 i can see david looking up at those stars and 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 realizing you know that that he was meant to be much more than just a shepherd boy you know, that God had created him to be ruler of the creation. That's why, let me tell you what, one of the reasons David was as great a man as he was, because he understood how great God was, but he also understood his own potential. He understood what he was created for, that he was created to wear a crown. If you look at your bullet, David put the perfect artwork there today. You see this young lad looking up at the sky and, 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 and with this crown on, he understands that he, he is to wear a crown, that he was created to wear a crown, that he was created to rule and reign with God. He understands that all things uh, were to be, are to be put under him. 
You know, that's not the way things are now. I saw a guy coming off of Ambassador Caffrey, standing there on the corner by the red light, coming off of I-10 on the Ambassador Caffrey. Standing there, you probably saw him too if you came the same way. And, and standing there with a sign, we'll work for food. I mean, the guy smiled, he had no teeth, he was unshaven, he had raggedy clothes. I mean, he had a beard. He looked terrible. He looked absolutely terrible. And there he was panhandling, trying to get a little money for his next drink. Let me ask you something. Is that what God created him to be? No. He didn't create him to be subject to depravity, to be ruled by the devil and sin. He created him to be ruler of all things. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But that's the, God's intention for all of us. Jesus created that guy to be a prince. To be a prince. Somebody needs to grab him and shake him. Man, this is not your calling. This is not what God created you to be. I don't know where you're at in your life, but look at your life. I mean, if you're in a fallen state, and we're all fallen to some degree, but if you're, you're just living out this life in total depravity, then you need to wake up. This is not who I am. This is not who I was created to be. God created me to be his son, to be his daughter, to be joint heirs with himself, not slaves to evil and sin, not slaves to the creation, but rulers of the creation. And thank goodness for that but there. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, which tells me that one day they are going to all be put under mankind. That we are going to be placed in our proper place in creation. Well, how is that going to happen? I mean, how is God going to do that? Well, that's where verse 9 comes in. And, and what a great verse. But... I mean, all things aren't yet under him, but, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Now you see the, the pronouns in caps, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Did you catch that? We see Jesus, who was for a little while, there's that, that, that same word again, it, it's little in time, for a little while was made lower than the angels for suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that he emptied himself of his glory and came in the likeness of man with one singular purpose and that was to taste death for you and me so that we could be restored to our proper place as princes and princesses of God but after his death and his resurrection he was returned to that glory and honor which he had throughout eternity go with me for a minute over to John I mean Jesus didn't stay in that state he came, he emptied himself of his glory, and then in John chapter 17, as he's about to die, listen to what he says, John chapter 17. 
It's an amazing verse right here. Listen to what he says. John chapter 17, verse 5. You got there quick. He's about, he knows he's about, this is hours before he goes to the cross. And listen to what he says. He says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. You catch that? Together with yourself. What's he mean by that? Well, it means with the glory which I had with you before the world was, before the world was even created. I mean, did the Father have one glory and the Son have another glory? No. Listen to what he says. He said, with the glory which I had with you, in you, with you. The Father was in the Son. All the Godhead dwells in the Son bodily. Did the Father have one glory and the Son the other? No. Did the Father sit on one throne and the Son sit on a throne next to him? No. Jesus has for eternity sat on the throne of God with the Father, together with the Father, with the glory which he had with the Father before the world was. That's why the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the express image of the Father's person. He is the creator of the universe. He is the radiance of his glory, the outshining of his glory. When you see the Son, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. But we see Jesus, who was made a, for a little while lower than the angels, God Almighty, suffering death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death. For everyone. You know, when Jesus was on that throne in glory before he emptied himself of glory, what a sight to behold. But you know what he wants us to look at today? Suffering of, he says, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. God on a cross, nailed naked. Bleeding and broken and dying for you and me. Glory and honor. If you look at anything but that cross for your righteousness, if you try to add anything to what he's done for you on that cross, You're not only trampling on his blood, you're trampling on his glory and his honor. What a glorious Savior. What a righteous Savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. And so he tasted death for us. You know why? Because you were always on his mind. And he wants you to spend eternity with him in glory. Ruling 
and reigning over creation with him. That's who you're meant to be. My favorite book by C.S. Lewis is the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm a kid at heart. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Fred would say I've only read three books, so that's why I'm using this one. I use it all the time. <laughs> Most people would say that's a fairy tale. But if you really know anything about C.S. Lewis, you know it's not a fairy tale. You know that it's an allegory about true historical events and about certain events that are going to come in the future. In the book, Narnia represents the world. Aslan, the great lion, represents the lion of Judah, none other than Jesus Christ. The witch represents the devil. It's pretty easy to figure out. And the sons of Adam and the sons of Eve represent you and I. Well, in the book, Narnia is in a bleak time of history. The witch has taken control of the land, and there's this ice age that's, that's uh, encompassed all of Narnia. And one of the sons of Adam has even sold his soul to the witch for a taste of Turkish delight. And so Aslan gives his life for the son of Adam. So that he can, doesn't have to pay the price for selling his soul. And Aslan then is resurrected from the dead. And so that he can breathe life into all his creatures or into all his children. And together they defeat the witch. And they restore the sons of Adam and the sons of Eve. To their proper thrones. As rulers of Narnia. You know, I have no doubt that C.S. Lewis had read the book of Hebrews and chapter 2 of Hebrews because that's, that's, that's where the plot comes from. Of course, you could take it elsewhere from the Bible too, but isn't that exactly what the book of Hebrews is telling us here? Isn't that exactly the story that, that we see here in chapter 2? That, hey, we're the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, and we've sold ourselves uh, into bondage to Satan. For, for the sinful delights of this world. But we were meant to rule Satan. We weren't meant to be ruled by Satan. But Jesus Christ, as it says right here in chapter 2, verse 9, He has tasted death for us, so that He can, and in doing so, receive honor and glory, so that He can breathe life into us, and crown us with the glory that God intended for us to have originally when he created mankind, so that we can rule and reign with him forever. Let me ask you a question as I finish today. How many of you feel like you're more glorious than the angels? How many of you feel like a prince are princes of God today. Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. Because that's your destiny. If you're a child of God. If you're a child of the devil, you're going to go down with him all the way to the pit of hell. 
But if you're a child of God, you are always on his mind. That's why he died for you. What else can he do for you than that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness through Jesus Christ and what you've done for us. Lord, that you would empty yourself of your glory and be humiliated and tortured on a cross for our sins so that we could be restored to what you intended us to be from the very beginning. Sons and daughters, Lord, of yours. Your children. Princes and princesses. Your friends, your brothers and sisters. Lord, you have such great plans for us. Help us to see past this dark and dreary world. And Lord, help us to see what we know to be true, that we are always on your mind. What a great privilege that is, Lord, and it only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for that blood, and I thank you for our Savior. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.